And I'd invite all of you to open up to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12 is our text this morning. Welcome to those of you who are new or visiting. We're going through the book of 1 John in this series called Assured Child of God. John is trying to assure the children of God that they are the children of God. He knows that they still sin. There's solution for that, forgiveness in Jesus Christ. He's pointing them to the fact that they believe God, they, they love God, they know the right Jesus. And some have left their churches and are teaching different doctrines about Jesus. They've left their churches and demonstrated that they themselves do not have a love for other Christians. They've demonstrated that they themselves don't obey God's commandments, and that's not the pattern of their life. So John writes to this remaining church to assure them, you are children of God. And in our passage this morning, he's going to call them to love one another with the love that God has demonstrated to them. So I've entitled this message, The Intent of God's Love. Let's read 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Again, the intent of God's love. Some of you are familiar with the term apologetics. Christians use it to refer to the times when we defend our Christian faith, capital F. Our, our, we, we make a defense that what we believe is right, what we, what we believe is true. There are different aspects to apologetics. There are different lines of argumentation that we sometimes will use to communicate the truth of our faith. Sometimes we will communicate by pointing people to creation showing them that there is indeed someone behind all of this, and everyone knows that that's true, according to Romans chapter 1. And so we just simply try to connect the dots and show them that because there's a creation, there is therefore then a creator. So sometimes we use creation as an apologetic, a defense of our faith. Sometimes we use prophecy in Scripture as a defense of our faith. Hundreds of years before this happened, God prophesied that it would happen. We, we look at prophecies of the Old Testament, perhaps like the, the servant of God being pierced in Psalm 22, and then pointing to Jesus Christ as one who came to save us and who was pierced for our transgressions. So we try to connect dots of prophecy and say, see, this is proof that the Christian faith is legitimate is real, apologetics, a defense of the faith. Francis Schaeffer once said that there is one apologetic argument that, that is greater than all the others. And what is that? It's love. How Christians love one another. Schaeffer said, love is the ultimate apologetic. When a world, everyone born into the world is born in sin and in selfishness, but there's a group of people throughout history whose heart God has changed and softened and caused them to love one another, that should be headline news to people around the world. The way they treat one another is different than I've seen, is different than I've experienced. Love should be the greatest apologetic. Where did Schaefer get something like that? Well, Jesus, John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. So Jesus is making the case that love is the greatest apologetic. 
in this passage, we see that God is love. The passage has that famous phrase in it, that famous sentence, God is love. It does not say God has love as if it's something that was outside of him that he obtained one time. No, he is love. It's who he's always been. God is love and his love for us that he's communicated to us has some intention behind it. The love that he communicates to his people, to his children, is meant to do something. It's meant to actually go through them into love toward one another. So God loves us and enables us then to love one another. That's the intent of God's love that's talked about in this passage. So this morning our outline will be as follows, three reasons we should love one another. Pretty simple. Three reasons we should love one another. The first reason being God regenerates us to love like Him. Secondly, God demonstrates what love looks like. And third, God intends for His love to be shown through us. So first, God regenerates us to love like Him. This is verses 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So John's going to show us by using that word been born, that, that, that term been born in verse 7, whoever loves has been born of God. John's showing us that God regenerates His people. God gives His children new life. He gives them new birth. So if you are a person who claims to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, you are saying that He has rebirthed me. I had a first birth, August 30th, 1977, or whenever it was for you. I had a first birth, and I came out with a sin nature. I was in need of a redo, a starting over. That's why Jesus tells a rather moral man in John chapter 3, a religious man, a Jewish teacher who would have been morally upright in the eyes of so many. That's why Jesus tells him, you must be born again. You must start over. You must have a new birth with a new father and a new being. Your old being has a sinful nature. You need a new being. You need to be made new, renewed. The theological term is regenerated. You need a heart that now beats with life because your heart is a heart that's dead, dead in trespasses and sins, like Ephesians 2 says. You need a new heart that beats like God's. You need to look like God. So, John is showing us that God regenerates us, His children, so that we are then enabled to live like Him, and in this case, to love like Him. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So, so what he's saying there is, hey, brothers and sisters, Canyon Bible Church of Prescott, Let's make sure we're loving one another because love is from our Father. I think if I had to paraphrase this, I'd, I'd say, let's love one another because it only makes sense that we would do what our Father does. That's the idea of what John's getting at here. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God, or you could even say our love is from God. Let's love one another because we have this love that's from our Father. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever loves their brother or sister from the heart is demonstrating that they've had a new birth. They've become new. There's a new them. At the point of their conversion, they were then changed to be loving and to care for their brothers and sisters. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. A child of God knows God. And I'm not saying know the way that you meet someone on the courthouse square on a random Saturday afternoon. You're kind of sitting there waiting for your spouse to finish their shopping, sitting on a bench, looking at them, 
They're looking at you. You're scrolling through their, your phone, trying to avoid one another. Finally, it's been 20 minutes. Okay. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> it, this isn't talking about knowing like that. Like you meet them and you're kind of getting to be familiar with them. This kind of knowledge means that when you're converted, you get God. Oh, I used to treat my enemies this way. Now I've got inside of me this desire to treat them this way and to see them be saved and reconciled to God. You meet someone who's in the family of God and before, you know, you're just too busy. It's your time. You don't want your schedule interrupted by them. But now you've been regenerated, reborn, converted, and they've got a need that you want to meet. Right there, that communicates something. You get God. You understand God. Because that's what your father's like. And so now that's what you're like. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You know God. Contrast that with the person verse 8 talks about. Anyone who does not love does not know God. I mean, pretty simple stuff. If, if you do not have a heart that beats for other people in your church, that beats for your brothers and sisters, and you've constantly got to be cajoled to do something for them, could it be that you're the person of verse 8? If you've got to be talked into loving, you're not just loving from your own being, but Christians are now loving from their own being because they look like their father. They've been reborn. Anyone who's not loved does not know God because God is love. This is who God is. And I want you to follow the argument here. Again, a lot of times we, we throw this verse around, God is love. It's on tea towels. It's on quilts. It's, it's on screensavers. I mean, we know this verse, God is love. But I want you to see the context of it is this. This is who God is. Therefore, this is who His children are. They love. That's who they've been remade to be. They've been reborn to love. God is love. As I said earlier, this passage is deep and beautiful because it communicates that God did not obtain love one day. He didn't exist with His Son, kind of a curmudgeon, selfish, and then one day somehow thought, I should love. He has always been love. It's exactly who He is. Again, He doesn't have love. He is love. It is part of His essence. It is who He is. He's always been loving, which means that He's always been giving. Love gifts, love sacrifices. He's always been giving. Who's He always been loving? Well, we know two answers to that question. We know that He's always been loving His Son, who's always existed with Him. See the Gospel of John for that teaching throughout the book. He's always loved His Son. And Ephesians chapter 1 says, in love He predestined us for adoption as sons. So He's always had a love for us who were yet to be created. He's always been loving. It is who He is. One writer said, God cannot exist without loving. He can't. He just cannot exist without loving because that is who He is. That is His being. He's always been the loving Father. In fact, Colossians 1 says that one of the reasons that He created the world was for His Son. He created the world by His Son and for His Son. He's always loved His Son. So the argument is this. Since it's God's essence to love, when He has children, guess what? It is their essence to be loving. It is, so, so I want to make this clear. I'm not here telling Christians based on this passage, 
Christians, you've got to be loving. No, no, no. The statement is Christians, if you are in fact a Christian, a child of God, you are loving. And the thrust of this passage, the exhortation of this passage is, so you ought to love. So be doing things that reflect who you actually are, loving. So keep pursuing love. Keep demonstrating love. It's a call for you to keep doing who you act, what you actually are. Keep demonstrating love because you are born again to actually love. It's who you are. This idea has been said throughout the book. Look back at 3 verse 10, chapter 3 verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So, someone who doesn't love, they're not a child of God. You could say then, therefore, that someone who does love is obviously a child of God. Look at verse 14. We know that we've passed out of death into life. How do we know that? Because we love the brothers. God's given us a new heart, a new life. He's given us spiritual life that is demonstrated by loving the brothers. Verse 17 of chapter 3, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? I think that's kind of John being a little sarcastic. You see a need and you close your heart to that brother and don't meet the need, how does God's love exactly abide in you? Uh, It doesn't make sense. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So we have a love. Let's just make sure we're loving in deed and in truth. God regenerates us to love like He loves. So His essence, His being is loving. Therefore, His children who are reborn have a loving being. That that is who they are from the inside out. Before you were a Christian, you had a certain love inside of you by God's common grace. Unbelievers get married, they have real love for one another. Unbelievers care for their children, they, they care for aging parents. There's a real love there. But God gives the believer a new heart to love one another like Christ loved us. That's what he talked about earlier in the book in this new commandment. You've, all, you've always heard to love, but I give you, a, in a sense, a new part of that commandment. You love now like Jesus has loved you. And God changes our hearts to make that the pattern of our life now, to love like Jesus has loved us, to love like the Father has loved us. So God regenerates us to love like Him. So what's one reason that we should continue to love one another because God has remade us to be loving toward one another. And He intended for then something to happen with the new us. So we have the trait of our Father. You know what this is like growing up and someone says to you, oh, that look that you just gave, that is your Father's expression. (laughs) Or your mom used to do exactly that. I remember when we, um, Michelle and I were uh, newly married, we'd sit on the couch and watch television, and for some reason, I don't know why, when my feet are spread out and my feet are crossed, I'd kind of like rub my feet together a little bit, and that's just kind of what I've always done. Why? I have no idea. I've never thought about it until she brought it up. (laughs) She said, why do you do that? I was I don't know. They just do that. I don't know. And then one day we were visiting my mom and we were all watching television together. My mom's feet were out. Guess what she was doing with her feet? <laughs> Rubbing her feet together. And then a few years later, we had kids, family movie night. And Michelle says, look at his feet, doing the same thing. We didn't have a family meeting saying, this is what you do when you watch television. Have your feet. It's just who we are. It's just what we do passed on generation, generation. Why are you, why are Christians, why would would you be so patient with that person? Why would you 
why would you not just end the relationship at this point? Why, why don't you tell them off? Why do you spend so much time taking care of that family? Why, I mean, you spend a lot of, I get a little bit, you spend a lot of time trying to help out. Because that's what my father's like. And I'm his child. God regenerates us to love like him. So, there's not a, I mean, I want you to see really the, the statement that, that begins our passage. Beloved, let us love one another for, because love is from God. Love is from our Father. So, again, this is John calling us, exhorting us to do, love one another, to do what we've been made to do by our Father. So, Christian, hear this. Hear the apostle calling us today to love one another because that's what we've been made to do. We've been made to love one another. There's a second reason we must love one another, and that's found in verses 9 to 10, because God demonstrated or God demonstrates what love looks like. God has actually given us an example here. Okay, I'm supposed to love. Well, how? Glad you asked. Verses 9 and 10. In this is love. You want to, that's another way of, you want to see love? Want to get a picture of love? In this is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God's demonstrating the type of love that He wants us to love one another with, and that is a giving, sacrificial, initiating love, because that's the love that He's shown to us, that He's given to us. So John focuses on a particular way that God's demonstrated His love to us. If someone asked you the question, how do you know God loves you? You could give a million answers. You really could. Look at this friend. Look at that friend. Look at this family member who he's given me. Look at this situation. Look at how he cares for all my needs. I mean, you could just go on and on and on. I live in Prescott. Sign that God loves me. I mean, you could just go on and on and on and on. And you'd be right. But what John's doing here is something that he does also in his gospel. He's saying, as it were, listen, you want to know God's love for you? Let me talk to you about the fact that he sent his son to come and die so that you would have life and so that he would absorb God's wrath for you. John, John does this. He wants you to know God loves you, and so he points you to Jesus. He wants you to know the Father loves you, so he points you to the Son and what he did for you. He does that here. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In this, this is how the love of God was shown to us. You ready for this? God sent his only son into the world so that we'd live through him. So, yes, you can talk about the parents God gave you, his love for you. You can talk about his, his providing for you. You can do all of that. But John wants you to think of God's love in this particular way. You want to know God's love for you? He sent his son for you to die for you so that you would live. That's what he's doing. And I want to show you this also from John chapter 3. Go to John chapter 3, Gospel of John chapter 3. Some of you have heard me talk about this. You were here when I taught through John years ago. You're part of Bible studies where I've taught through this passage, but hear it again. John 3.16. Most famous verse, perhaps, in the Bible to many people. But let's understand what John's actually saying. Because he's doing the same thing he does here in our passage from 1 John 4. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Oftentimes, people read that as if it's saying, for God so loved the world. That's not what John's saying. Now, that is true. His love is grand, and it is magnanimous. It is great. It is big, and it is large. That's not what he's saying, though. Here's what 
the original language is trying to communicate. For God so loved the world. God loved the world in this particular way. Listen to this. It's trying to show a specific way God loved the world. What is that way? It's not by seeing creation. It's not by giving you, you know, all the meals you need. It's not by doing that. He does love you in that way. But the specific way that John wants you to see that God's loved the world is by this, that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would have life, eternal life. So John, in his gospel, and then back in our passage, 1 John 4, he's trying to show this is how God's loved you. He sent his son for you. Why does he want to focus in on that aspect or that, that act of God's love? Because there's none greater. There is no greater love than the Father sending his son for rebellious sinners. That's the way you know God loves you better than any other way. Better than any other way. God the Father loved you and sent the son that he loves, has always loved to absorb his wrath for you and I. We know he's always loved his son, but now he makes his son absorb his wrath for you and I. So now we know he doesn't just love Jesus the son, he also loves me. That's what John wants us to know. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live spiritual life which lasts forever with God so that we might live through him. How do we live through Christ? Well, Christ has only and always obeyed the Father. And he gives us all of the merit of that to us. He gives all of that to us. We get righteousness. We get life. We have only rebelled against God. We've done wrong, and his son came and took the death that we deserve and gave us the life. So we live in Jesus Christ. We're united to him. He rose from the dead. Guess what? The Bible teaches we will rise from the dead. We have dead hearts. Guess what? The life-giving God who, who spoke the creation to being also spoke life into our hearts, so now our hearts live. All happened through what Jesus did. He came, lived a perfect life, died, took the death that we deserve to give us life. And that is how you know God loves you. He sent the son that he loves to do that for us, for you. Verse 10, and this is love, not that we've loved God. So so here's another little aspect to it. God did all that. He sent his beloved son. He had this son and he said, I want you to go and do this to redeem this people. And I'm going to give this people to you as a reward for what you do. I love you. I love them. I'm going to unite you to them and therefore them and you back to me. It's this, this, this love relationship in the father and the son that we get to be a part of. So God the father does that. And here's why he didn't do that. Because look at him they're just so wonderful. I mean, they always do the right thing. And look, they love us, son. They sing to us. They talk about us. They tell other people about us. They try to be like us for one another. Look at how they do that. So, son, go down and die for them. No. He did not love us because we loved him. Paul says in Romans, while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. So God loves us by sending his son, by being benevolent to us, by giving. And John wants it to be clear, he didn't do that because we were lovely. He did it because he's love. It's who he is. He gives even to people who don't deserve it. Yes, that's us. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation, the one who absorbs God's wrath, the one who gets in the way of God's wrath and shields us. Sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God our Father initiated the love with us. And that's why we love him in return. Because he started it. He started it. 
He initiated this love, sent his greatest gift, his own son, who he's always loved. And his son died for us. Again, the scriptures also point to the son loving us. He didn't go reluctantly to the cross. As Luke said, he set his face toward Jerusalem. He was going to Jerusalem to die for his people. That was his plan. He went to do that. In Galatians 2, Paul relishes the fact that the son loved him and gave himself up for him. The father, if you're a Christian, the father has loved you and his son, and the son has loved you. Why? Because God is love, and he loves his own. Now, why this theology lesson about the father and the son and their love? The whole intent is so that you and I would love one another in that way, that we would initiate love with one another, that we would give toward one another, that we'd sacrifice for one another. That is the call. And Christians shouldn't need to be talked into that. Why? Because it's who they are. It's what they want to do. I want to give my time and my resources. I want to give the gifts that God's given me to benefit others. Why? I don't know. That's just who he made me to be. He's given me a new me. The old me didn't. The new me does. Why? Because that's what God does. I want you to see the importance of this. Turn, if you will, to 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. Let me just, for the sake of this morning, call the book of 1 Peter Christians living in a world that's going up in flames. I mean, that's kind of fitting for us today. How did you live in a world that's hostile to you, that is so often governed by the evil one? How do you live like that? How do you suffer like that? Well, 1 Peter's your book. But I want you to see 1 Peter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now listen to this. Above all. That, that's, those are two big words in the English. Above all. He's been telling us about how to suffer persecution. He's been telling unbelieving spouses how to live with, I'm sorry, believing spouses how to live with unbelieving spouses. He's been, he's been telling us how to honor even a wicked emperor. He's been telling us, don't repay evil for evil. You suffer like Jesus suffered. He's been telling us a lot of heavy things in 1 Peter. And then he comes to this. Now listen, above everything else, whoa. What in the world are you going to say now? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That's a, that's a striving word. That's a, you're going you're to have bruises and cuts. It's going to be hard. You're going to be tired. That's that type of word. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Isn't that interesting? Peter kind of assumes that in a chaotic world, the people of God might start fighting against one another and sitting against one another. And so he tells them, you roll your sleeves up and you work at loving one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And then he goes on to talk about showing hospitality. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. In this kind of world, believers are suffering. They're struggling. And so what do other brothers and sisters do? They swing open their doors. Here, come in here. You'll be safe here. You'll be cared for here. That takes earnest love. Verse 10, as each has received a gift from God, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. That takes time. That's why he said above all, love one another earnestly. Ah, that, that takes self-sacrifice. I know. That's why I said love one another earnestly. Yeah, but sometimes uh, it's not always convenient or sometimes the people I'm helping don't always respond the right way. I know. That's why I said earnestly. You got to work at it. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, God's multifaceted grace. He gives 
I mean, I just look out <laughs> the congregation. He's gifted all of us differently in a, in a multifaceted way. And, and different ones of us are able to meet different needs and care for different people. And it's a beautiful tapestry. It's beautiful. And it's a, a picture of God giving grace in all its forms and we then give it to one another. And it takes work. Whoever speaks, if you've got speaking gifts, as one who speaks the oracles of God, speak what God would say. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. If I asked you the question, if I started with the end of this passage, hey, do you want Jesus to have all glory and dominion forever and ever on this earth? Oh, yes, amen. Do you want Jesus Christ to be glorified, made famous, made known, made much of? Yes, absolutely. Great, then serve your church. Whoa, (laughs) I've got a career here. Your career is going to burn. The family of God will be forever. Are you saying don't care about my career? No, now you're putting words in my mouth. No, no, no. Work hard as unto the Lord. Work hard. But there's a commitment to the people of God that God puts in his people when he gives them birth, when he regenerates them. Work at loving one another. His love for you initiated, it was giving, it was sacrificial, therefore that's how you love your brothers and sisters. It takes time. I recently heard a pastor um, trying to encourage people in his church saying, I know many of you are tired. I know many of you are laboring. You're studying for Bible studies. You're showing up and you're making meals for this. You show up weekly and you prep food for this ministry and that ministry. I know you're tired. He said, and that's wonderful. Our world is so concerned with tired. We, we just want the endless vacation. And the Christian life is just not an endless vacation. There are times of respite. Our Lord knew that. He tried to give his disciples times away. But our Lord knew that this is difficult. This is hard. But it's so worth it. Roll up your sleeves. Love your brothers and sisters. That is the love that God has showed you. So I want, I want you to see. Again, we think of these verses in 1 John as just what God's done for us. He sent his son. He's a propitiation. He, he sacrificed. Amen, amen. But there's a reason those truths are in 1 John because he's calling that church to demonstrate that type of love for one another. It's not just a doctrine to be enjoyed. Oh, I love what God has done for me. And then like a cul-de-sac, it just stops right there. No, no, no. Now you demonstrate that self-giving to your brothers and sisters. That's why these truths are in this book. So back to 1 John Four, in this is love. In this love, God was made manifest to us. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I think of what Paul says in Second Corinthians. He's constantly giving himself, giving himself, giving himself to this church. They listen to other people criticize Paul and they start to believe it. And Paul's like, I've given myself for you. And you're listening to other people who slander me and you're believing that. Like, come on. And the whole book is full of, I'm dying daily. I'm going through shipwreck for your good. Paul tells him, Death is working in me and life in you. Paul's demonstrating love for the Corinthian church like Jesus demonstrated love for the Corinthian church. He died so they would live. Paul now dying so that they would live. And here, 1 Peter, 1 John, Jesus washing the disciples' feet, doing something that was dirty and filthy, saying, you do this type of thing for one another. The call to the Christian is sacrificially love, in a sense, die so that others may live. That's the call. If you're not a Christian, 
and you're here this morning, I want you to see how God has demonstrated his love to the world. Yes, there is beauty in the world. There is, we've been given taste buds. What a good God. Everything could taste like butter. It doesn't. It's good. There's fl- God's good. God is good to the world. But here's the chief way that he's demonstrated his goodness to the world. He sent his son to live a perfect life so that he could give that life as a credit to sinners and he would take their sin upon himself. He would rise again showing that in him is life. You believe in him, you have spiritual life and that life exists forever with him. I hope you believe that. I call you to believe that. There's only one way to be right with God and it's by accepting, believing in the gift that he's given in his son. And guess what comes with that new life? The ability to love better than you ever have before. The ability to be patient, long-suffering, giving, generous, warm, compassionate. He puts that inside of you now for the first time as a way of life. Christian, my exhortation to you based on these two verses, get close to people in your church. So many of you already do that. Don't stay at arm's length. Don't, don't, just try to meet needs. If there's no one else that'll do it, you can call me. What, what is that? That does not sound like the love of the Father and love of the Son. Oh, I heard his prayer request, that small group. I think I might be able to help with that. I, I just sense that she's been down lately. Hey, is there some way I can pray for you or help you? God's made me good at this. My church can benefit from that, (laughs) that type of thing. Look at the love God's shown to us. It initiates, it's selfless, it's benevolent, it gives. And that's why these verses are written. There's a third and final reason why we must love one another, found in verses 11 to 12. God intends for his love to be shown through us. Simply said, it's his plan for us to love one another. There's a good reason we should love one another because that was his plan. His plan was to show off who he is. That benevolence we talked about, it's meant to be seen by how we're benevolent. God is so giving and people should know that by seeing us being giving. Man, God, it, it, it cost Jesus, the Son of God, something. That love cost him something. He suffered that's, that's a special kind of love. And the world is meant to see that as we suffer for one another. God intends for his love to be shown off through us. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, otherwise said, beloved, if God loved us in this way, what way? This sacrificial, initiating, giving way. If God loved us in that way, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, God the Father. No one's ever seen Him. If we love one another, God is in us. He abides in us, and His love is completed. The word says perfected in ESV. I think the translation to help you understand a little better is completed. So again, get the picture. If God loved us this way, that's how we should love one another. No one's ever seen God. If we love one another and his love is inside of us, his love is then completed. It's doing what it was intended to do through us. And people see that. People will know that. People will know God better as they see us loving one another like God loves us. That's what's happening here. Beloved, if God loved us, loved us in this way, We also ought to love one another. You could really circle verse 11, and that kind of summarizes all of these verses 7 through 12. That's kind of a summary verse for the whole paragraph. Beloved, if God so loved us, loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. And notice again what that is meant to do. God wants his character to be shown off through them. 
Have you ever prayed for a family member or friends? God, show them your character. And you might be thinking, I don't know, send it in lightning bolt form, put it, draw it in the sky, in the clouds, I am forgiving. Well, I don't know. The answer to that prayer is demonstrate the character of God to those friends and family. And maybe they will know God's character by knowing us. We are His representation. You don't need to turn there, but I'm going to read for you from Philippians chapter 2. The church at Philippi had a unity problem sometimes. Apparently at the time of this writing, there was a unity problem. And you know those famous verses about Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Those rich theological truths about Jesus. Again, why are they in the book of Philippians? Because he's calling that church to be like that toward one another. He says right after that, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you may be blameless, innocent, listen to this, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul knew the Philippian church was meant to be a picture of Jesus Christ in the world. The world fights and bickers and complains. Jesus dies for his people when they mistreat him, dies for them, forgives them. So this is Paul saying, don't grumble and bigger and complain. You are children of God meant to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So don't be like the crooked and twisted generation. Shine as lights. And again, that's the call in 1 John. To be who God's made us to be so that we show him off. Shine him out to people who know us. When you complain about brothers and sisters in your church, unbelievers know. Some Christians complain about other Christians on social media. What a horrible apologetic. What in the world are we doing? Some Christians complain about believing brothers and sisters to their unbelieving neighbors, to their unbelieving family members. What in the world are we doing? That is not completing the intended love of God so that he'd be shown off. We are called to make his love known, to show it accurately. I want you to imagine that next week we come and we announce, hey, listen, next summer we're all taking a church tour to Jerusalem. Don't worry about the cost. It's been paid for. Don't worry about the babysitter. Don't worry about any of it. All taken care of. All the kids are coming. They're going to be careful. Everyone's going. No excuses. You're all coming. That'd be pretty cool. Some of you are thinking, do you have an announcement next week? No, we don't. <laughs> but go with me. We're taking a church tour to Jerusalem. We go down to Sky Harbor. We hop on the plane get on a bus once we're over there, head into Jerusalem. And as we're going into Jerusalem, we're kind of looking around going, I thought this place was more modern. I mean, it looks old. And then we realize we've been brought to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. We're, uh, we've gone back in time here. And we're all on this bus together. It's the Canyon Bible Church of Prescott bus. It says it right there, big and bold on the side. And we go to a place just outside the city, just outside the city, where there's a criminal execution being done. And a guy comes before we get off the bus, and we're kind of looking out the window, and I think this is our Lord and the two thieves being crucified. We're right here looking out on this. And someone comes up, jumps on the tour, on the tour bus, and says, before you get off, I'm going to be your tour guide for the rest of the tour. And we come to find out that this man's name is John, the Apostle John. 
And he says, I want you all to come out here and line up and look at what's happening here. And we're all standing there, kind of amazed and trying to figure out, how am I seeing all this? Look at this. And our suffering Lord, during that time, looks at each one of us. And you can just see the love in his eyes for each one of us. John comes up to us and says, see that look? I know that look. He loves me. Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Lord, loves you, friend. And he goes to the next person in our church. Jesus loves you. His Father has loved you from the, before the foundation of the world. And John goes to everyone in our church, everyone on the bus, and says, that look, and even what he's doing, is a demonstration of his love for you. You are all children of the Father. That is your brother hanging there on the cross, dying for you. And then we're reminded of the fact that in a few days he's going to rise again. And we're all sent back to the bus to continue the rest of the tour. And we get on the bus, all solemn, maybe tears, thankful, uh, singing hymns in our mind. I mean, just quiet awe is what permeates that bus. And we sit on that bus and we're going down the road and someone on the bus all of a sudden gets sick or has a need. And we know that they are loved by Jesus Christ and loved by the Father. And we kind of think, oh, I hope I don't have to do that. I don't want to be bothered. I mean, I just want to sit here by myself, look at the scenery. Should we go back to where the crosses were again and remember how he loved us? Or someone says, hey, can you be in charge of passing out water every couple hours or so to the group? To the whole group? It's a lot of people. I've got a career to work on. I've got hobbies. That'll keep me from some of my hobbies. Should we turn the bus around and go back? To Calvary and remember the son sacrificing himself on our behalf? Hey, you're sitting by a group of around eight people. God's given you the ability to teach the Bible. Would you help encourage the brothers and sisters by teaching them the Bible um, every couple of weeks or so on this, on this long trip that we're on? Oh, I got, I got hobbies to do. I, I'm now, someone else have to do that. Okay. Um, see that person over there? Um, they need a home for a while. They're loved by God the Father, but they're still on this earth right now, and times are hard for a number of reasons. You've got 12 bedrooms, and it's you and your wife. <laughs> Could you house them? Ah, we've just got new sheets. Ah. Uh, should we turn the bus back around and go back to Calvary and think about his love for you and what it cost him as he's hanging there naked on the tree for, because of his love for you and his father's love, who you can't see his father's love for you? Should we do that? Hey, um, why, are you, why did you guys separate seats? Oh, they said something mean about me. Okay, have you worked that out together? No, no. I'm just going to stay separate. That, that's, that's making peace, right? No, that's faking peace. Why don't you get someone who loves both of you and you can sit and work this out? No. I'd rather hold the grudge. makes me feel better because I'm really important. Should we turn the bus back around and go back to Calvary? And remember that he right there had plenty of reasons to hold a grudge against you, but he didn't. He went there for you. You see what I'm getting at here? The love of God in Christ is not just something to be enjoyed by us. It's something to be demonstrated by us toward one another. That's what this passage is saying.
May the world know us because of how, may the world know him because of how we treat one another. This week on social media, there was a video that was making the rounds. Um, Some of you probably saw it. Christian man, he's in England. You can tell by his accent. I'm not giving anything away. Um, You'll figure that out. Uh, Christian man in England who talks about the fact that he loved Jesus, but the church was kind of, ah, optional. But the video is about how he grew to love the people in his church. And I think it's a poignant reminder of this passage. I was watching it, listening, watching people that um, I respect on social media kind of pointing to this video saying this, this is important for us to see. So I thought, you know what, this exactly fits with our passage this morning. So we're going to show you that video, then I'll lead us in prayer. If I'm honest, I never really liked the church. I didn't even really like Christians that much. I used to think of it like a package deal. Like you get Jesus and so you get the church and Christians thrown. It's just part of the package. And uh, there are some bits you like Jesus, some bits you don't like so much, just like the church and Christians um, used to find that a bit annoying. But I'd turn up the church and go through it. But I didn't really enjoy going to church. And then one day uh, I was at the back of our church in East London and someone said to me, oh, we need help to run the coffee team and I was like I was like working like 70 80 hour week I'm like what and they were like yeah we Steve we really need your help running the coffee team on a Sunday and I was thinking I'm a barrister I'm not a barista like I've got a job I don't need another job to run a coffee team but I just you know sometimes you, you just can't even think of what to say so I was like okay I'll do it I'll do it okay and and I instantly thought why did I do that so I turn up next week like, you know, trying to get the cups and everything, get the coffee right. As I handed these cups to people, something really changed in me. I found myself, as I handed coffee to these people, growing in love for them. I was like, these people are amazing. Like, this is this extraordinarily diverse community. It's been gathered from across the area, probably not another place that looks as diverse and integrated as this. This is a miracle. And then I, even people I found a little bit more frustrating and complicated, as I handed them their coffee, I kind of grew in love with them. And I kind of basically fell in love with the church. And then I kind of went back to the person who'd asked me to do it. I said, we need a new coffee machine. We need better beans. We need better mugs. Like, we, come on, these are amazing people. I want this to be the best coffee that they get. You know, they're coming to church on a Sunday morning. I got more and more passionate. I started to build a team to serve coffee on a Sunday morning. I sometimes say, Making coffee changed my life because I fell in love with the Church of Jesus Christ. I didn't realize why it was special. I didn't realize why it mattered. And as I made coffee for people, I suddenly realized, oh, the church is like the bride of Jesus Christ. It's like the thing he gave himself for. Like the church is God's plan for the salvation of the world. There's no plan B and God is gonna build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So like, God is putting all his eggs in the church basket. And I realized over those few weeks, there's a beautiful thing here. Yes, it messes up. Yes, it makes mistakes. You'll never find a perfect church, but it's a beautiful thing. And I thought, that's what I want to spend my life building. Father, Thank you for demonstrating your love to us in such a poignant, personal, specific way. Lord Jesus, thank you for your commitment to die for us. Father, as your children, would you work in us the continued ability to demonstrate your love to one another? Um, When I say that, Father, I'm just not asking for warm and fuzzy love. I'm asking for the hard work of love to be done? Would you help us to be long-suffering? Would you help us to kill the root of bitterness that has sprung up in some of our hearts toward one another? Would you help us to take what you've given us, the minds, the abilities, and to put them to use for the good of other people instead of using them simply for ourself and our own joy and desire and fame and income. Would you help us to love sacrificially?
Father, I'm asking that you would not let our church be known for anything that is contrary to your character, but let us be known for love because then people would understand you better. May people be one to you based on what they see in us, us showing them the character of you and your son. Holy Spirit, give us the ability to love like our fathers loved us and like the son has loved us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.